Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by Nancy Praya Johnson, Deputy Editorial Board Editor. And uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard us talk uh, quite a bit in uh, over the past several weeks about the Justice Charter Amendment, Proposition A, um, where you have some uh, police reform advocates who have uh, they've they've gotten a, a proposition on the ballot, which uh, among other things would uh, ban chokeholds, uh, ban no knock warrants, uh, decriminalize abortion and uh, uh, small amounts of marijuana. It would basically expand the site and release programs, and it would create a justice director for the city of San Antonio. And um, we've uh, invited you know, both representatives for the San Antonio uh, uh, Police Officers Association and uh, representatives for ACT uh, 4SA to be on the podcast uh, you know, in separate weeks so that we could kind of get their different perspectives uh, on this issue. Um, and we're hoping to have someone from Act 4SA on uh, soon. Um, and today we're, we're happy to have Danny Diaz, the president of San Antonio Police Officers Association, to talk about that issue and some other things, too. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for being on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. Um, you know, when you, I, I, before we kind of get into some of, the, to some of our maybe more specific questions about it, I would just want you to kind of go over the biggest concerns that you have, you've, you've talked to the city council about when they approved this and the, some of the things that, that you were concerned about when it came to um, Proposition A. You know, tell us, tell us what, you're, what bothers you about it. There's a lot. So there was, uh, I guess from its inception, the, the route that the activists took in, in getting the signatures for this proposition, <clears throat> excuse me, was, was a bit, not a bit, but it was misleading. Um, so in, in getting these signatures, they talked to people, hey, do you want to legalize uh, small amounts of marijuana use? Do you want to legalize abortion? But didn't talk about the rest of the 13 pages that was on there. Um, that's where we have difficulty with, because if if those other things were brought up, I don't think the, the citizens would have signed this petition. And, and those things in particular are um, cite and release or verbal warnings for pretty much a lot of or majority of misdemeanor offenses from class C to class A. What we're telling the community is what they're wanting is sight and release or verbal warnings for um, criminal mischief up to $750. Theft up to $750. Uh, theft of service up to $750. So if you break it down graffiti to this is community, what, uh, graffiti is $2,500. Yeah. So if you break it down individually, you know, theft, um, kids will be kids, and I use this kind of scenario. If kids go out and do a beer run, how much beer can I steal to add up to $750? Who winds up paying for that? The store owner, right? Uh, if you go to a restaurant uh, and kind of joke about it, you know, in a sense where if I take myself and two of my cousins with me, we could eat up $749 worth of food and walk a check. And you can't do anything, you know, as far as a business owner is concerned. Who pays for that? Uh, criminal mischief, you know. Same thing, $750, someone has to pay for that. Uh, graffiti, up to $2,500. Well, the way that we categorize how we, when an individual is arrested, of which class to arrest them for, by state law, we have to figure it at $100 a square foot. So if it's $100 a square foot, $2,500, it's 2,500 square feet, they could tag up an entire house and not have any repercussions at all whatsoever. Who pays for that? Um, and it's the owner of the business, the house, the church, you know, 
whatever it may be. So it is a detriment to the community. They basically follow the path of what happened out west, right? Oakland, Seattle, Portland. They lost a lot of business in those cities. Um, we don't want that to happen here in San Antonio. Can you imagine the detriment that it's going to be to the small businesses that are here in town if this happens? Now, that's just one. They can continue. If an individual does 750 once, he can go back later and do it again, and we still can't do anything about it as far as law enforcement is concerned if this gets passed. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is that you have um, – there are several – uh, provisions in this that really are kind of already in line with, with policies. You know that 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 we that the police uh, uh, department is following. I mean, the, the one is uh, uh, no knock warrants. The police department is not doing that right. Chokeholds, I think, are only done in cases where the officer's life is is at stake, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is is kind of in line with state law. Um, uh, there's a, been a, a site and release program that the police department's been involved with as far as low levels of marijuana, right? Yeah. And, and well, we can talk about that. But you, you, and you mentioned when you talked to the, the, the city council that, I mean, there, there's no one in the police department that's, that's arresting anyone for helping someone get an abortion or, or providing an abortion. So that's, so they're not, it, many of these would not change policies. And then you have on top of that, you have the city attorney saying that, we really can't codify any of these things anyway because they're not they're, they violate state law. The, it seems like the one uh, area that you're the most concerned about, which you talked about, uh, graffiti and property, uh, you know, damage and theft and so on. That one um, is outside of what the police department is doing now. But even that one, Andy Segovia says, we couldn't enforce that because that's that's a violation of state law. So. I guess the the, the question I would have, and, and, and maybe some other people wonder about this too. Is, how much do you think this is really going to change anything in San Antonio if it passes because so much of it, according to the city attorney, is not going to be enforced by the city? Yeah, so that's the worry, right? They said the same thing in Austin. They said the same thing in Seattle and Portland, that by doing this, uh, city council is not going to allow this to be enforced. But what happened over there, depending on who you have on the council, on the dais, they're going to push it. So you have three individuals right now on the dais that – want this. Can you imagine what's going to happen if they get three or four more? They control city council. They want it in there for a reason. They want to push it. So not with all due respect to Andy Segovia, not that I don't believe him or trust him. It's just that those council members could get this pushed, right? And if they do, where's our city going to wind up at? So here's, there's a big, broad picture to this where uh, there's a lot of things in there that, that they talk about. Um, you know, you mentioned no-knock warrants. Um, that's a tool of the trade for officers to go after felons. This isn't just to go knock down anyone's door. I'm sorry, I've been a policeman for 31 years. 22 of those years I spent it on a SWAT team before I took this job. Those are individuals that, you know, were murder suspects, had hostages. Those are big crimes. So uh, drug distribution or stash houses, right? If you take that tool of the trade away, What's the expectation? Are we just supposed to go knock on a door and say, oh, San Antonio police, we know you have drugs. Uh, why don't you just give them to doesn't me? Doesn't the police department have a policy, though? It doesn't uh, work. Right on, the on policy's it? been in place since George Floyd. So if you think about it, where have we where have we gone? Since George Floyd, we went to over, from over-policing. Now we went to Uvalde, under-policing, not enough policing. So where do we meet in the middle? They bring up uh, chokeholds. That's been in our policy since the 90s. And, and you're absolutely right. 
the only time that an officer can use that is in a life or death situation. So these policies have been put in place for a reason. It's switching now to where the communities are getting so upset of property crime rising, uh, the murder rate rising. Here in San Antonio, it's risen 45%. And I'm not making these numbers up. These numbers were given to city council. And if I'm not mistaken, property crimes at 16%, vehicle theft up 23 or 26%. There's a lot, right? And it's continuing to go up. There's no proactive work out on the street right now from officers because, quite frankly, they're afraid to get in trouble. Since George Floyd things changed. One complaint that an officer did this, this, or this, it's like everybody's already convicted the officer in a sense to where, yeah, he did it. Um, Act for SA says we're afraid of reform, uh, excuse me, oversight. We're not afraid of oversight. You have the body cams, you have our supervisors, you have internal affairs, you have the Justice Department, the state uh, TCO licensing. You've got all these people that we have to answer to. It's there. We're not hiding anything. The biggest problem we have now is our arrests are actually up for the city of San Antonio. There are no convictions. In this side and release uh, program, slowly but surely, they've been enhancing the amounts, right? When it first started, I was still out on SWAT. It was 0.25 grams of marijuana you could not arrest for, right? Um, it started getting more and more and more to where it's a gram. There's a young man on YouTube that got arrested for four ounces of marijuana, right? Which is a decent sized bag. They took him to jail. The ADA released him, forced the officer to take him back. And he goes out on YouTube saying, thank God for the new policy that uh, the DA has in place because uh, they had to let him go. So what are, are we actually doing here if we're not convicting the individuals that we arrest? It's a slap on the wrist. Yeah. No one has any repercussions. So now getting back to what they're wanting in this proposition, there's a lot of other things that people don't know about are in there. Simple assaults. So I can go push you, knock you down. That's an offense by the Texas Penal Code. Now it's just a verbal warning and a citation. How does that work? Well, if I understand what you're saying, are you saying that, that uh, District Attorney Joe Gonzalez's policies have in some way contributed to the increase in crime that we've seen in San Antonio? These Most definitely. And, and during the election, we, we put in, in the newspaper some um, mug shots of individuals that have been released that have gone on and committed other felonies, right? We put in some of his statistics in there. Uh, I think I got a cease and desist letter to stop putting those statistics in there because the numbers were wrong, uh, that I didn't get him from them. Well, I got it from the district clerk's office. He's saying, no, these are the numbers. Where did you get your numbers? So it's smoke and mirrors. But what we can show you is from the department, and I'm in the process of doing a, uh, a study right now with a, uh, a spreadsheet on how many of these individuals they're releasing um, or dropping cases, and these individuals are going out and committing more crimes, right? There's no repercussions to anything here right now, and and that's sad. Uh, Act for SA goes goes on and, and mentions that you know the county has saved four million dollars in not you know in letting these individuals go on small nonviolent crimes. My question is, let's ask the next the next question. If we say $4 million, where did that money go, right? Um, they're saying that through the site and release program, they've been able to raise so much money. Well, from my standpoint, as a police officer issuing out some of these citations, um, I haven't yet to see anyone that's been convicted for any of those site and release marijuana possessions, much less 
I have yet to see anyone that has been fined and paid that fine. If there is money, where is that money? Right, and they can't answer it. But doesn't that help um, alleviate the crowding at the jails? I think that that's one of the things that D.A. Gonzalez talks about is, you know, with these low-level marijuana, um, you know, when you're not putting them in jail, it, it frees up some space, and they don't have enough space at the jail. It does, um, and, and, and that's his statement, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the back end to it. If you allow these individuals to continuously do these crimes, where's the end point, right? When I first came on, uh, he asked for a meeting, and uh, he asked me and my vice president to agree to cite and release for state jail felonies. So I can't do that. All right? He'll deny it, but they, we went into his office, and there was— So what kind, of, what kind of offenses are we talking about? With it? So large amounts of drugs, assaults, state jail felonies are your minimum amount of felonies where DWIs, that, that type of, of, of offenses— People forget we took a note to uphold the law of the state of Texas, local, state, and federal. I can't do that. That's just not something that we can do. How would all of this affect domestic violence? That's another thing. Domestic violence is part of Okay, so if you go back and, and look at the, the charter itself, simple assaults, right, is, is in there. It's worded different, but it's in there where we can't arrest a uh, husband that pushes down a wife or vice versa. Um, on any of these family violent assaults. That goes into that also. That's a tool that officers use to be able to take that problem, not only put them in jail for, for violating someone's rights and assaulting them, but it takes the problem away to where they can now assist the spouse in finding another place to go, being able to move, being able to relax for a little while. Oh, we can tie these to all kinds of things. Motor vehicle theft, you can tie it into uh, human trafficking. Right? They're stealing the cars, taking them to Mexico, bringing people back. It, it's A lot of these crimes are tied in. So even though you could say we're, we're saving money by not putting people in to jail, um, it, it's these are habitual criminals now that are starting to do this. Okay, now what can I get away with? And and hence, that's what's been happening. The, the one provision in this uh, proposition that uh, Andy Segovia has said – uh, the city would be able to enforce, it would be the creation of a justice director. <laughs> uh, you've had, you've, I know you've had some things to say about that too. This, as Act 4SA has described this position, this would be somebody who would be like a conduit between the city and, and uh, act, police reform act activists and, and be able to look at public safety issues, if there's like a budgetary issue that, you know, there's some equipment or something that's, that's being purchased or any certain expenditures that they can look at this through the prism of trying to reduce, you know, uh, incarceration levels, trying to looking at it from a police reform uh, angle. You, I know you uh, object to the creation of this just justice director. What is the, the, what are the major objections you have to? So let's go back to proposition B two years ago, mm -hmm. right? A lot of their argument was we needed more training as police officers. Yeah. Right. In that, you look at the way that this is written now in this charter, in Proposition 8. The justice director pretty much will dictate city budget to city council or have a say-so in it. Yeah, because right? I mean, they, they, they can't force them to do anything. I mean, they, but they can, they can make suggestions, I would imagine. Yeah, but here again, if, if, you have other, if you have other people on council that want this passed, yeah. right, they're going to get it done. So 
the way we see it is, is this. If you want to dictate training, then you have to have someone that knows what it takes to do the job, right? Um, if you want someone to dictate budget, well, I prefer to have somebody that has an accounting degree, especially if you're going to work on a city budget. That's a ton of money, right? I can't tell you how much these microphones cost. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to tell you which ones mm-hmm. to buy? How are they supposed to tell us what training it is that we need? Part of it, this is Proposition B 2.0, because in that, they have say-so over contracts, right, which is our city contract. So from our standpoint is, and I learned in college a couple years ago, several years ago, won't say how long, but uh, uh, you don't duplicate administrative jobs, right? The job description that is pointed out in this proposition is Deputy Assistant City Manager Maria Via Gomez. Why don't we just relabel her job description or her title? She's already there. Yeah. She's already the Justice Director. Yeah. Right? Well, as you probably know, uh, Councilman Manny Pelias has suggested uh, just just adding that title. If this passed, adding that title because, as you say, she's overseeing. Uh, she's doing it department. now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. And if we uh, are able to, to speak with someone for Act for SA, I'd be curious to to hear their their take on well, actually, uh, I talked to Ananda Thomas recently, and she said that you know she had a lot of respect for for Maria, but that's that's not the intent of of this. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I think they want more of a focus. Excellent. I mean, Maria, she does she has a lot on her plate. Obviously, you know, she she oversees a lot of programs and does a lot. So, I think what they want is somebody just solely focused on right. this. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. I guess you can say that. <laughs> yeah. but. Do you have, I'm just curious. I mean, I, I definitely, I hear you out and, and I do want to hear more about, um, about Seattle. And I mean, I know I went to Seattle not that long ago mm-hmm. and I was just, and I wrote a column after I, after I went there because I was just kind of taken aback by how everything was. Um, there were a lot of closed businesses, um, felt like a lot of crime and, and it was just grittier and, and, tougher than what I expected it would be. And that was my first time going. Can you talk about more, you know, talk about how it would change San Antonio and, and why you bring those places up, Oakland, Seattle? So I bring those places up is because that's where a lot of these in, these incidents started, right? Mm-hmm. You have Oakland, you have Portland, Seattle, you have New Orleans. Do you put Austin um, in there too? Austin's in there also. And and what what you see, well, February 18th, they had those um, those street racers, and they were mm-hmm. throwing fireworks at officers and doing all yeah. that. But what's transpired in Austin, right? Um, they pretty much had Austin police officers asked, had a proposition and asked for more staffing, more officers. It was denied. Prior to that, um, activists over there were asking to get rid of more officers, and, and in a sense, they've lost quite a few. They're 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 shorthanded. Um, here recently. Um, you've had a city manager that was fired in Austin. Um, to me, it's not a coincidence that it wasn't about the electricity not working during the freeze. It was more that he came to an agreement with Austin Police Officer Association on a contract for four years, and then city council turns around and says, no, 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 we'll just um, have it for one, an extended for one year, right? So those things are actually happening throughout and throughout those cities, and when you lose your law enforcement department, um, especially in the cities out west, now they're asking for more. Look at what happened in Chicago, right? 
Now they're wanting more voting out the mayor there. So we bring those out because those are things that have already transpired in those cities. At one of the speaking engagements that I had, I had a lady come up to me. She was in tears, um, thanking me for fighting this because her husband was a police officer in Seattle. They moved here to get away from there. And now it's like deja vu. And uh, unfortunately, I asked her, you know, if her husband was there so I could speak to him. And he had passed this past August. So, um, uh, again, she was thankful that we're fighting it because it's, it, she goes, it's going to hurt this town more than what you think. Um, so we use those examples because those have, things have already happened. Uh, and look here, born and raised here. My kids are here. I don't want this town to go south, right? We have to thrive. Um, it is this, and I tell everyone that, that I talk to from out of town or even here, this town's different. You know, where where uh, the culture is different, right? Um, people here, the community, love their police officers. We have individuals that come in from out of town, like during the riots. A lot of those individuals that stirred up that stuff uh, were from out of town and weren't from here, mm-hmm. right? Even though these activists here are trying to follow the path of what they did in Austin, Seattle, Portland, uh, it's different. And once you get the community understanding what this proposition is actually about they're getting mad and they're getting upset because now it's going to take away from them the thing is is the misleading aspect that they didn't explain to them the whole proposition and made it about marijuana and abortion i'm sorry san Antonio police department has never arrested anybody for abortion we're so understaffed there's no way we can sit at a, at a location to wait for a doctor to you know, have a procedure and then we arrest them. That's just not going to happen here. That's an Austin issue. And quite frankly, so is marijuana. That's an issue up in Austin. It, someday it'll get passed, you know, but uh, that's up to them to decide that, not a not a city charter. Danny, aside from the issue of whether, of how much of this the city would be able to enforce if it passes, there's also the question of like legal challenges. L- last Friday, the Texas Supreme Court uh, threw out a, a challenge from uh, anti-abortion uh, activists um, who wanted to get this, you know, thrown off the ballot? And the, the Texas Supreme Court didn't didn't deal with the merits of of the uh, of the challenge as much as they just said this is something that can be challenged after if it passes. <laughs> it gets after yeah. after it's the voters have a chance to to weigh in on it. Um, is it your expectation, like if this passes, that there are going to be some that there will be some legal challenges to this? It looks like that's absolutely from other organizations, uh, not right? necessarily yeah, this not one, but others. Yeah, right. Others, or well, the ones that actually put that put that in place. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure, from our standpoint, we couldn't wait to see what what the Supreme Court stated with, with this proposition or with that lawsuit. Uh, from our standpoint, it was more I have to be ready and prepared. Right. So we have to educate the community. Um, Prop B. We only had three months when we took office. To defeat that one, um, what we saw from that was <clears throat> the community. The community was not educated enough on what the actual issues were. Um, this time around, it's different. We're spending our entire time educating not on, only HOAs. Uh, I have reached out to all the chambers. Um, they're pretty much on board um, with with and realizing that this is a detriment to this community. So as much as we get out to uh, talk to people, uh, they're getting upset. There's quite a few here that still don't have an understanding of what the proposition is. They think it's still about marijuana and abortion, uh, but it's not. 
there's a ton of things in that in those 13 pages that we're just now getting out and and I don't know if you've seen it on the commercials that we've ran so far but those are just a couple of things that are there um, but again we can tie things um, to family violence we can tie it to uh, assaults right and and felonies because if they continuously do it and there's no repercussions people are going to try and see what else they can get away with right um, so it's we're in difficult times here if this passes you mentioned proposition b in 2021 i think uh, most of our listeners will remember that that was uh an effort uh to uh basically take away the power of collective bargaining away from the police union uh and it narrowly uh it failed to pass but this was as you 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 took over the police union uh and i think you were saying february 2021 um so this, you had this on the ballot, and it was in the early stages of collective bargaining uh, for the police union. A lot, to, lot happening at one time, and the uh, anyone who's been here for a long time, there's the expectation that you know when the the police union is, is negotiating with the city, it's just going to be rancorous, and there's going to be a lot of public you know conflict and everything. This was the smoothest and the quickest negotiating process that I can remember since I've been in San Antonio. And in the past, I think the, 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 the cycle before this, the big issues were really about benefits mm-hmm. and the city trying to, to uh, reduce the costs of, of benefits for, for police officers. In this case, it was much more about, um, or it's, it seemed like it was much more about issues of dealing with police misconduct and, and, the, and the city wanting the chief to basically have uh, more tools to deal with cases of police misconduct. It felt like the union this time was was willing to compromise on some of those things. And my sense is that there was an unwillingness before to compromise. I mean, you, you correct me if I'm wrong on that, but um, what what caused the, the the process to go so much better this time? So I, I will tell you first and foremost, I have to take my hat off to uh, Eric Walsh and Maria Villa Gomez. Uh, they gave me a chance and an opportunity to prove to them that. Uh, we weren't what uh, what Miss Scully put in her book, right? We're not those greedy individuals. Um, we're in the middle of George Floyd. Uh, all everything was going on at that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, one of the biggest things is change, and we have to adapt to change. Um, we made some adjustments to our discipline, uh, but at the same time, there were things that are put in place because uh, you don't know what can happen in the future, right? Um, new individuals um, have their little groups, their little cliques like they, they're used to be, um, where we don't see that any longer, and officers need protections from those. Um, so we did make some adjustments and some movements, um, and, and it was a speedy, uh, speedy negotiation process where there wasn't all those arguments. And a lot of what we found was the city had no idea why some of the things were in place. Once we explained it, then, okay, it started. Can you give an example of that? Mm, Pretty much the process, the discipline process itself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they were so accustomed to just fighting and arguing and not listening. And once we gave examples of prior cases as to why these things happened, they understood. Um, To be specific, uh, I can't because there's manners like so many, right? And there's some legal ramifications to that. But uh, we had to keep an open mind, and so did, they, so did they. And we had to ask, hey, look, let's meet here. Give us the opportunity to prove to you that these things can work. And for the most part, 
it has. Um, have a great relationship with the chief now. Uh, meet pretty regularly with the city managers and let them know, hey, this is what's going on. If there's an issue, we discuss it. You know, we, we agree to disagree on some things, and that's one thing that I told all of them. Um, again, when I mentioned earlier, I'm not here to fight with you, I'm here to work with you. But at the same time, uh, if, if we have to agree to disagree on certain issues, but I'm not going to backdoor you in any mm. way, shape, or form, uh, we don't get anything done that way, right? Mayor Ron Nuremberg was, was very much, I think, at odds with the police union the first four years that he was in office. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the relationship like now? I mean, at least from what we see publicly, we don't, we're not seeing evidence of conflict that we used to see. I mean, what, what's the relationship like? No, I mean, it's cordial. I mm-hmm. mean, there's, there's some things, again, that, that uh, things were said in the past that officers don't forget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who does? Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been able to move past that, and, and we have a working relationship um, and that's pretty much the way that uh, that it's been. I, I've I've done my due diligence to show uh, not only him but chamber presidents and uh, big business here that we are here to work with them and not not against them. And for the most part, it's it's worked. You know, it's taken some time. Uh, they've had to learn. Um, excuse me, not learn, but they had to have the opportunity to see that we have made our changes. And up to this point, it's worked. Uh, Danny, you talked a little bit earlier about about the issue of training, and you know, last October we had uh, a, a case got a lot of attention in San Antonio. We had a 17 year old uh, named Eric Cantu, mm-hmm. who uh, was was shot fleeing a McDonald's parking lot. The police officer was a, was a rookie cop who um, he, I think he went in response to a disturbance, which Eric Cantu it turned out didn't have anything to do with. But um, but he also thought this was the same car that he had. This is someone he tried to stop the day before, and so um, he opened the door to the car and asked him, told him to get out. They were going to took off, and you know he 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 fled the scene, and the police officer uh, shot him, and and uh, he was critically injured. Um, and when I when this happened, I, I talked to a couple of uh, former police officers who suggested to me that, uh, and that not necessarily this is a uniquely San Antonio problem, but that, that there are issues with trying to get to certain numbers in the police department, that the training process uh, has maybe been compromised because, uh, uh, because of the need to get people to pass uh, through the academy, whether they've, they've shown that they're qualified or not. The issue came up in more recently in Memphis, where you had the Tyree Nichols, uh, the beating. Uh, the, 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 he was beaten to death by police officers there, and there have been a lot of uh, questions that have been asked about uh, the training process there, and and uh, and how that's how that might have affected what happened there. What are your thoughts? I mean, because I think this is you know one of the central issues when we're talking about policing in San Antonio or any other city. You know how. How effective the tra- the training process is, and whether some people are are are, are making it through uh, from the academy to the police department, if whether or not they they uh, they should be there. I mean, what do you think? There's anything to that? That well, there's a couple of things there. Yeah. Right. So uh, I will tell you, and, and I say this everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. This job is like any other job. There's a bad individual wherever you go. Sure. We've done our due diligence to get rid of those bad individuals. <clears throat> Excuse me. In my career, I've arrested six officers that that uh, did some things that they don't belong. Mm-hmm. You won't find a San Antonio police officer that wants a bad officer here because it's a reflection of them. Now, that being said, our staffing is short. It is very hard 
to recruit people currently. Uh, look at where we came from, as we mentioned earlier. No one expected a George Floyd. No one expected Uvalde um, and, and the repercussions of those things. But if you go back to 2006, 2005, somewhere in there, um, then city manager Cheryl Scully, we, the previous administration told her, hey, don't cancel classes because it's going to take you 15 years to catch up. And they canceled three classes back then. Hmm. No one expected what we just went through the last three years. So quite frankly, who wants this job now? So it's very hard to get people to come in. Our applicant processing unit is doing a great job of getting some individuals, but because of the way things have transpired, you can't, you're having a hard time keeping up through attrition, mm -hmm. right? Um, those things have happened. Another thing that happened back then is there was a change in the standards to get on this department, right? Um, our standards were one of the most stringent in the state of Texas, along with DPS. Those were changed a little bit. Anything, can so, you talk specifically about some of the some of the changes that, that were made there? Oh, man, I have to go back okay. and read on, on which ones, Gilbert, but the, it's civil service, man. It's, it's, does it's, it make uh, it harder or easier? It makes it easier. Easier. Yeah. So what does that mean? I mean what, what does quality, that translate what to? What quality? It, it makes it easier for individuals that aren't of the quality we expect, mm -hmm. okay. right? Not saying that all the officers are like that. Absolutely not. Right, we do our due diligence to get to those officers and give them the right training, but it leaves an opening for those individuals that don't belong here, not to be here. Right, so there's some things that we have to combat with that, and 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 again, it's like like any other job. There, there's we have to we've done our due, our due diligence to police ourselves, and um, and as you've seen, what's happened in, in several of those those individuals are no longer with us. Well, how does the city combat it? I mean, is part of it. it recruiting better recruiting or is it is should the tra training process change in some way or that's the magic question uh, the training process has not changed in a sense that the justice department came here in 2015 2016 and said that we were one of the model one of the top 15 departments in the united states as far as a model for our policies and procedures that we have in place so how do we fall so far from 2015 2016 to 2023, when nothing's changed, things have been added to make things uh, better, right, as far as policing. We've been able to change with that, um, the change of the times, and add policies and procedures in place that keep us where we need to be. So in actuality, for Act for SA to say we need more training on this, more training on that, I would beg to differ. Maybe some refresher courses, Right, because there's so much that we have in place. Could we do those things? Absolutely. Um, but again, how do you ask an individual to tell you what training that you need when they have no idea what it actually takes to do the job? Again, it's because of the national narrative of George Floyd and Tyree and all these other cases. Yeah, but but see, here's the difference, and 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 let's get back to no knock warrants. Right, you're talking to somebody who did it for 22 years. There's policies and procedures that we have in place that those other cities didn't have, right? Here, there's a ton of things that we have to do. There's a, like for a warrant, there's a warrant supervisor, there's a warrant detective who actually writes up the warrant. There's a verification supervisor, a verification officer where they go and look at the house. Your attack team, whoever's gonna do it. 
They use Google Earth. They use photos. They drive by to videotape it. They drive by to take pictures. They do their history on all these individuals to make sure that those things up there don't happen here. And quite frankly, they just haven't. Uh, I got asked a question. Um, I'm trying to remember which speaking engagement it was. But, hey, how many people have been killed here during the execution of warrants? Um, zero. Now, you talk about officers that have been at locations where there's been shootings. Absolutely. But those are things that happen with with individuals for whatever reason. Things escalated and people have been killed. But on the execution of warrants, the last ones that have been shot on an execution of a warrant, you're looking at them in 2010. Other than that, it hasn't been. Dan, before we wrap things up, I wanted to talk a little bit about a, a, a new policy that the, the city has put in place, working with uh, UTSA's Department of uh, Criminology and Criminal Justice, uh, the hotspot policing uh, policy, which was presented to the city council uh, a few weeks ago. And I think it's the, I think the basic, again, correct me on this if I'm, if I'm not stating it right, but I think the principle is just looking at data and saying that a lot of the serious crime that's happening in the city is, is concentrated in certain pockets. And we have a police officer presence there. If police officers can go there, stay in their car, but their, their presence is seen, it will have a deterrent, deterrent effect on crime. Um, you know, I, I know that you're aware that there are some council members, we talked with the councilwoman, Terry Castillo, recently, just about concerns that she could, that just having the, the police officers could lead to situations escalating and, and that certain neighborhoods or areas could be that they could be uh, you know targeted in some way talk about how you see this hotspot policing working and are you is this something you're in favor of and do you think that this is uh, and, and why if you do well favor? let me touch base on councilwoman Castile we're talking about the same individual that didn't want safe officers in her community so um, who again is in tight with act for SA right um, so to her, anytime you see a police officer, it's just we're, we're scaring everyone, which is far from the truth. We've done so much work in District 5 um, with our nonprofit. So our nonprofit is Blue Cares. We have been giving back to the community for decades. No one ever realized it because what we do is we would get backpacks, just as an example, get backpacks, fill them with school supplies, we would give them to the council people and they would take credit for it back then. We stopped that. We've got Blue Cares out, um, not only backpacks for back to school, haircuts, clothes for school, uh, giving people food. We even, uh, our executive director raised $100,000 last year. We were giving out $5,000 grants to other nonprofits. We're doing our due diligence to get back into that community. Um, we are also um, there in District 5. I'm drawing a blank on, on the name right now. I'm sorry. It's this little community um, that they've been there for since I was a kid, mm -hmm. helping families out. Um, and, and, and we've been doing our due diligence to do that. So in that aspect, um, she thinks that we're a de a, not a deterrent, but more of a detriment to the community in uniform. We're out helping. Now, as far as the UTSA thing is concerned, man, I'll tell you, I don't like it from my standpoint. Really? Because... Uh, what have they just done? And they're saying that an officer is going to be out there but sit in his car. How is that a deterrent? When they're there for 15 minutes and then with their lights on. Well, and it, it, it would be sitting in the car unless something, unless there's a, an incident that happens that would, right? I mean, isn't that what, what they're talking about? 
Yeah, but it's it's it, it, look at it this way: if you have an officer sitting in their car and they turn on the lights, what does that tell you? They'll hang out there for 15 minutes. Once he leaves, okay, now we can go back. So you think it's not going to it's not going to be effective? I, no, I don't. In my opinion, it's not. But you're talking about somebody that was used to coming to work and 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 looking for um, criminal activity, right? Guns, drugs, robberies, auto thefts, all of that. By sitting there turning on your lights, it'll deter for 15, 20 minutes. But once they know the officers leave, and what did, what did we do? We announced it to the community. We announced it to the criminal element. So they already know, oh, man, it's cool. We'll just hang out here until they leave, and then we can do whatever So what would you what would you prefer to see the city do on, on in dealing with that? Part of our biggest problem right now is staffing, right? Um, we're, we're short-staffed. How bad is it? I know you've mentioned it several times. How bad is the staffing right now? Well, so on paper, we have 2,503 officers, right? We're about 2,330, 40, somewhere in there. We're, we are constantly compared to the city of Dallas. Hmm. The city of Dallas is a smaller city, and they've got 3,000 officers. Hmm. So from my standpoint, I would tell you we're anywhere from 700 to 1,000 officers short. Right, and that's my estimation by just looking at how much the city has grown. The staffing has grown 17% since the mid-90s to now. But the city has grown tremendously. Back then, uh, when I worked south, Brownick Lake was all we had. We didn't have the highway. Now it goes past 1604, you have all the highway. Our north boundary is Borgfell Road. We're almost in Comal County. Our east boundary is China Grove. Right there's a district for one officer that goes from China Grove all the way to Parambito and 410. That's a long way. Mm-hmm. And if you go west, it goes out to 211 and Government Canyon. But yet, we've only increased by that much. And and I found a staffing plan by a retired um, uh, Deputy Chief Tyrone Powers, and and I called him because he had a little notation on the right hand side of his paper. And, and I said, sir, do you remember the staffing plan? He says, absolutely. He even told me the uh, lieutenant that helped him write it at the time. Hmm. He goes, uh, um, this is what you need to do. And I said, sir, you wrote something on the right-hand side. Do you remember that? And he goes, yeah. I said, I put down, we need more police officers. He goes, by the way, son, how many do you have now? I told him the same thing I told you. And he goes, man, sarcastically, he said, y'all sure have come a long way in three decades. Hmm. It, it's tough. So if you want to compare and you compare us to Dallas, let's kind of even even up, you know, uh, where we're at. Uh, we are short. Now, again, I can't blame the current city managers that are there because this was put in place in 2006, you know, and, and going on. This is a residual that, that we're dealing with because of that, mm-hmm. right? Are they doing their due diligence to try and fix that? Sure, but uh, it's going to take time. So with that, uh, again, in taking time, these propositions that they're trying to, to mm. put in place, mm. it's not going to help with what we have now. It's just going to be, uh, it's going to be worse, not only as far as policing concern, but the community. They're going to get affected tremendously by this. Mm. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up there. Um, thank you all for listening. Danny, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. And... Uh, I hope everyone out there is doing well. We'll be back with another uh, episode next week. Take care.